1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome
2: back. Our number two Wednesday edition of Lifeline for the 23rd day of January. Well, we're a little over three weeks into a brand new year. We've got a brand new governor and the same old legislature. (laughs) For a lot of longtime conservative Californians, we feel as if we're kind of left out of the legislative process with the decks uh, inevitably stacked against us and uh, growing levels of frustration. Well, you always have the option of moving to another state, I suppose, in a state that is largely controlled by one single party. And yet, is that the only tool that we have at our disposal, picking up the phone, calling the moving van, or are there other things that we can proactively do? My next guest, I think, would suggest absolutely, and it's high time we start using those tools. Marlo Tucker, director of the California chapter of Concern and Women for America. Marlo, great to have you on the program. Happy New Year.
3: Happy New Year.
2: Thank you, Craig. I'm glad to be here. Now, uh, typically uh, in in, uh, this environment, when uh, the topic turns to the California state legislature, um, usually the next phrase spoken by a guest is, and throw all the bums out. (laughs) (laughs) And and while that might be tempting, we've also come to learn that um, uh, electorally that's not as easily done as said, we do definitely want change in California, but oftentimes the uh, the fastest way to seeing um, long term, long lasting change is not necessarily a political solution, but rather a spiritual one. Tell us more about CWA's Encourage a Legislator campaign. Thank you. So,
3: Concerned Women for America is the nation's largest women's organization on public policy, and we aim to bring biblical principles to all levels of public policy, um, but through prayer, education, and advocacy. Now, there's this amazing ministry program that Concerned Women for America provides. It's called Encourage a Legislator Program, and we aim to um, encourage our legislators to do the right thing and to cover them in prayer. And so it's a prayer project we have in our state where we would like to deepen and grow our influence and effectiveness by uh, covering our legislators in prayer. And we do that by um, sending postcards of encouragement. And we have a commitment to pray for our state legislators during the 2019 California legislative session. Now, this is a wonderful ministry, especially since Concerned Women for America Encompasses women who are from all stages of life, young women who are young mothers of children and homeschooling, to working uh, uh, working mothers or working wives, and also um, people uh, grandparents. And so many of us can't go overseas and do ministry abroad. This is a place where we can do ministry from our own home, where we can come to the Lord in prayer, cover our state and influence policy because we know that it is not a battle against um flesh and blood as the word says it's about powers and principalities in high places and so when we cover the capital the state capital in prayer we aim to change hearts and to encourage legislators and actually we've received so much thanks from some conservative legislators who actually carry postcards from our participants in the EAL program, saying thank you for your inspiration to remind us why we're fighting so hard, why we're going against opposition. It has given us courage to speak up and has given us confidence in the times when we feel like giving up. So, this is a ministry with strong impact, incredibly powerful, and there's no lobbying efforts. This is just the mere fact that. We're praying for you, uh, legislator, and, uh, you know, we are covering you and your family in prayer and asking for God's guidance as you um, make these really important decisions that influence uh, the state of California.
2: What is your sense uh, in terms of the impact here? I mean, we certainly know the power of prayer, but just in terms of communicating to a member of the California State Legislature who is perhaps more accustomed to receiving nasty notes, angry letters... I always remind my listeners whenever we encourage a letter writing or emailing campaign related to some piece of legislature to always be kind, always uh, open your communication with, you know, dear honorable so on and so forth um, and respectfully yours and to not try to give them a piece of your mind, but rather share a piece of your heart. So I, I, I would wonder what the response is going to be like. From some of these members of the California State Legislature, who are accustomed to receiving an altogether different kind of communication from their more conservative constituents,
3: right? I think it's a refreshment to remind them that we're all humans, and we all we all uh, want the best for everyone, and that um, when we communicate with the legislators, you know, it it really is they are our neighbors. It's not this far distant embodiment of legislators that um, that are hard to reach and um, stone cold. These legislators have doubts. These legislators struggle with um, what is right, what is wrong, what is the best way to represent, dealing with the pressures from both sides. And so when they receive such um, mail from our organization, it kind of opens their mind to being open-minded, perhaps if they are a legislator that doesn't necessarily agree with our biblical values. And then for those who are um, um, in agreement with our values, they are grateful. And it really is, um, we really can influence the state of California with a phone call, with an email, with um, uh, just showing up to the Capitol on lobby days, or even coming to uh, go to pray over the Capitol, the legislators understand, you know, that they're representing us. And so, the more that we have faith, the more that we interact with them, the more, you know, we matter. The more our values matter. The more our voices matter. And that's really encouraging because um, even though our California state is huge, it really is you know, just a small group of people. Um, who can affect so much change, and um, they're approachable, and um, and they can relate to us, and these kinds of uh, uh, communication with them is so refreshing, and it really does change hearts. There is that spiritual aspect where the Lord listens to His children, and He really, He's smiling when His children uh, press in and pray for these legislators, whether or not they're opposed to, our values, he he understands, and God is sovereign, and he's got this, and so when he sees the prayers of his people, something changes, and the Lord is moving. So it's a really great process, a wonderful ministry. It touches both the participants in the EAL program, sending out postcards once a month with a verse, an inspiring message, and it also is a refreshing um, communication for the legislators, who are either side, liberal or conservative, um, it is nice to have people who are not always against them banging on their doors.
2: (laughs) Indeed so, and of course that can really open up a pathway of dialogue and communication. that not only allows us to have ultimately, obviously, a spiritual impact as we, we uh, go before the throne, but, but ultimately a relational impact as well. If you'd like to get involved in this Encourage a Legislator campaign and make a uh, prayer-focused commitment for 2019, we encourage you to um, reach out to get started. Simply send an email to encourage at california.cwfa.org. CWFA for Concerned Women for America. Encourage at california.cwfa.org. And let them know you'd like to be uh, one of those uh, committed to reaching out to the 120 members of the California State Legislature, uh, 80 in the Assembly, 40 in the Senate, and uh, commit to pray for them and to, uh, and to communicate that with them. Uh, you're a member of the uh, Assembly or Senate as well. Or maybe not your member. Maybe you're God's put on your heart, somebody in Southern California. Whatever the case might be, uh, reach out to Concerned Women for America. Let them know that you'd like to be a part of the Encourage a Legislator campaign here in California for 2019. Again, simply send that email to encourage at california.cwfa.org. That's Encourage at california.cwfa.org. Our thanks to Marlo Tucker, director of the California Chapter of Concerned Women for America for that legislative update. 6.15, let's get a motor vehicle update. We've got the latest in the highways and byways. Michael Bennett, give us the latest.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: All right, let's talk about some of the challenges when it comes to parenting and the whole issue of expectations. I think as parents, we all bring children into this world with a heartbeat, with a desire to want to see our kids successful. You know, we want the kid that will grow up to be uh, the doctor or the lawyer, and yet sometimes they grow up to be the artist. And in that comes a sense of disappointment we have as parents. Then, too, beyond the notion of our ideals for our children, not necessarily matching their ideas or their goals. Then there's the sense oftentimes you hear of parents who try to live vicariously through their children. Yes, we want a better life for our kids. Sometimes we want our life or the life that we thought we should have had growing up ourselves for our kids. And then the frustrating level comes in when, as parents, we try to raise perfect little children, and yet they turn out to be less than perfect. Is that a fault of less-than-perfect parenting? Let's find out as we are encouraged to, quite frankly, kind of uh, rethink our thinking and um, realize that we need to love our kids for who they are. That we no more need to worry about perfect kids. Jill Savage is the co-author of this new book. And, Joe, great to have you on the program.
4: Thanks. It's great to be with you.
2: ah. There? Oh, there we are. Sorry about no. that. I, my headphone, for some reason, suddenly failed on me. <laughs> Jill, let's talk a little bit about first some of the ideals that parents bring into this job as parenting. You know, I, I think the the notion that we want a better life for our kids—I mean, that that stands to reason. Um, oftentimes, we want our see our kids grow up to uh, to have better opportunities or be more success, successful, either economically or or socioeconomically than than we were coming up as our kids, and yet suddenly this goal toward creating these perfect little people can become very frustrating, not just for ourselves, but also for our kids.
4: It really can. And you know what happens as parents is, um, you know, particularly uh, with that first child, uh, that child is, you know, either you're spending nine months uh, preparing for them, you know, as, as they're uh, growing in your, your belly, or they're, you're preparing nine months, 12 months if you're adopting and you are imagining what life is going to be like with them. You're imagining what they're going to be like. You're imagining what they're going to like and the things that you're going to do together. And that's all great. I mean, that's normal for parents to dream, but then we meet our real child. And all of a sudden, over time, as we get to know that child, often the imagined child doesn't match the real child. And so at some point, we really have to separate those out, and we have to embrace the real child that's in front of us who may not look anything like the imagined child. Uh, their, their likes, their dislikes, their abilities may not be anything like the imagined child. And so we have to be willing to embrace the real child standing in front of us recognize they're going to be different than us, they're going to have different goals and different dreams and different talents, and uh, be able to lay that imagined child uh, to rest and really embrace your real child that's standing in front of you. And and that's uh, one piece of No More Perfect Kids that we look at is, uh, really coming to grips and loving our real child.
2: Is this an issue that a lot of parents struggle with, a sense of failure perhaps, because as, as the child reaches a certain age, they, they, they compare the the imagined child with the reality of what is standing before them. And when one image doesn't match reality, do they get oftentimes get very depressed at the sense that I've somehow as a parent failed my child?
4: I think some of us look at it through the lens of failure. I think others of us look at it through the lens of disappointment. I think some of us look at it through the lens of still trying to make the child into something that they're not really designed to be. And so we become more controlling and uh, demanding the, of, of the child. So I think there's a lot of different ways that uh, as parents we can respond to this But the most important thing for us to do is to really study our child, get excited about the way that God has created them uniquely. It may be very different than the way he's created us. It might be somewhat different than the way that he's created us. It might even be somewhat similar. Who knows? Uh, One example, I have five children, and uh, four of my five children are musical, and so am I. So, I was actually have a degree in music education and and so I, I loved that for my kids. I wanted that for them. Um, I was trained to to play the piano classically. I can you put a piece of music in front of me, I can play it. Uh, most of my kids play by ear. They don't want to mess with the music. They want to hear the music, and then they want to be able to sit down at the piano and do it themselves. I can't do that. My ear is not trained. I don't have that inclination, but they do. Now, it used to frustrate me because, honestly, they really struggled with lessons and learning the classical side of things because they wanted the freedom to be artists. And I was really frustrated with that until I realized that I was trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And I needed to let them be the musicians that they were, which is very different than the way I am a musician.
2: And you mentioned um, that this it, this follows four of the five children. Now, what about the fifth child?
4: <laughs> well, the fifth child has absolutely no inclination towards music at all. <laughs> Nothing, uh, and he had no. He took piano lessons for a couple of years. Uh, but, you know, it became very evident that it just wasn't his thing. Uh, he loves to work with his hands. He loves to build things. He loves to uh, run. And so those were, uh, you know, those were skills, talents that uh, I didn't share, that I had to embrace in him. And so, you know, after he did an obligatory year or two of piano and we, we really studied him and said, you know what? this just isn't a good fit, then we had to let that go.
2: There has and to be some sense we'll just... of surrendering here, too, then, doesn't there? I mean, in, there in, in the sense that at the end of the day, what we want for them and what they want for themselves or the talent, skills, and abilities that God has, has entrusted to them may not be necessarily the ones on your list.
4: You're right. So surrender is a piece of it. And the other thing that I think is important is sometimes we do have to grieve. Sometimes we actually have to grieve the imagined child or the imagined activities, or the imagined way that we were going to interact with our children. We have to grieve that. Um, maybe, you know, maybe your child doesn't share any of the same type of hobbies or interests that you have. And you always pictured that you would be able to do X together. And and they don't even have any desire to do X. Uh, maybe you're dealing with a special needs child. Special needs parents really have to come to grips with this because, that you know, none of us imagine ourselves having a special needs child, a child that's handicapped in some way, uh, that has some physical or emotional or mental challenges. And so uh, as parents, it could be as simple as our children just have different skills, gifts, talents, wiring, temperaments, personalities than us. And it could be something all the way on the other side of the spectrum uh, where, you know, a parent is dealing with a special needs child and their life doesn't look anything like what they thought it would.
2: I would suspect there's a big point of perspective here that parents need to be reminded of. I mean, this notion that when kids grow up to be an artist, when what you really wanted was, you know, a doctor or a lawyer in the family, uh, dealing with that disappointment and gaining some perspective on, on really kind of the priorities here. We'll talk about that when we continue our conversation after a brief time out. Jill Savage is with us, co-author of No More Perfect Kids. Love your kids for who they are. We'll take a brief time out. Come back as we answer the question. Okay. So when your little artist fails to be the doctor or lawyer that you wanted, what's God telling you on all this? That is this edition of Lifeline with Jill Savage continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: No more perfect kids. I mean, let's just be done with it, shall we? In fact, maybe as parents, we need to admit that um, our expectations don't always line up with reality. And and the other issue here, too, is we were discussing with um, author Jill Savage, who's co-authored the book with Kathy Cox um, called No More Perfect Kids, perhaps, too, it's a matter of uh, prioritizing. And by that I mean, Jill, perhaps the frustration here is we look at them as our kids. You know, we we raised them, we fed them, we clothed them, we pay for them, um, we nursed them when they were sick the whole nine yards uh, or the whole nine months in the case of mom. <laughs> and at the end of the day, we kind of treat them as if they are our own, when in reality, they were God's children first. Is that part of the issue here that We're maybe failing to recognize that God has endowed them with talents and skills and abilities, and He has a plan for their life and a calling on their life that perhaps doesn't match the one that we've come up with or conjured up in our own minds.
4: Yes, absolutely. You know, Psalms tells us that uh, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and as parents, our job is to discover how our children are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's really the journey that we need to be on. And uh, one of the things that, that we talk about in the book is we talk about the concept of um, that culturally we believe that there is something called, that we've dubbed, the perfection infection. And the perfection infection is surrounds us all the time. Uh, we are, uh, you know, we, we go through the checkout line at the grocery store and we see the front of magazines that talk about perfect bodies perfect families, um, you know, they, they give the, the, um, the perception that perfection is attainable. Uh, we watch a television show. We watch a sitcom, and a difficult issue is solved in 30 minutes. We watch a movie, and a difficult issue is solved in two hours. And that's not the way our real life is. And so without realizing it, we often put some pretty unrealistic expectations on ourselves as well as our kids, and then we leave God out of that picture
0: Mm.
4: because we begin to make an idol out of pursuing perfection or in some way presenting perfection to the rest of the world. And I think social media adds to it as well. You uh, You know, it's very common to see on Facebook, hey, I'm so proud of my son, he made the honor roll. You don't very often see on Facebook, well, today was such an enjoyable day. We got a phone call from the principal because of uh, something that our child did at school. You don't see that very often. So we are constantly um, comparing our insides to other people's outsides. Our, our We're comparing our children's behind-the-scenes behavior to other people's, um, you know, I would call... Uh, highlight real behavior, Mm -hmm. you know, their kids seem to behave well when they're in public. And we know what ours do behind doors as well as in public at times. So without realizing it, we often put some uh, really unrealistic expectations of ourselves and others because of the perfection infection. And then we leave God out of the picture.
2: Well, and then that leads to a point that you discuss in the book. And I have to tell you something, uh, Jill, my hat's off to you and your co-author. Um, and you imagine down through the years, I have interviewed thousands of uh, parenting experts. Uh, you know, many that the listeners are very well familiar with. You know, up to including the you know the Jim the uh, Jim Dobsons of the world, and so on and so forth. But you bring up something in the book that I've never seen articulated in a certain fashion before. That ought to set every parent back on their heels. And that is this: um, we do a lot in terms, as you suggest, of wanting to uh, see our kids. Uh, be more successful at life than we were. We want them to have advantages that we did not have. Uh, we try to pass on this sense of uh, of perfection, as you suggest, that oftentimes can be very frustrating to a child when they don't have the capacity to be able to, to match us in that level of perfection. We're trying to create kind of a, you know, Martha Stewart kids, I'll call them, you know. They're capable of doing everything, and they do it perfectly. That's what we want. But, of course, we also understand that that's not reality. But meanwhile, as we're trying to kind of force this false dichotomy, this false um, paradigm on our children, it can be very, very frustrating for them. And you ask a question inside the book that I think every parent ought to really ponder, and that is simply this. Of course, we want to say that we love our kids. And most kids, I think, if they stop and pause, uh, will say, yeah, I know... I know, I understand in my heart of hearts that mom and dad love me. That's not up for debate. Here's what's up for debate. The big question that I have that's unanswered, and that is, do mom and dad like me? <laughs>
0: yes.
2: Wow. And and the answer to that question and how our children would respond to that says so much about our parenting skills, doesn't it?
4: It really does. And it, it, it really does. And, and it doesn't matter what we... Um, what we say, like, you know, yes, of course my children know that I like them. The bigger question is, would your child really be able to say that? Uh, The the bigger question is, how do I make my child feel? That really says a lot about our parenting. And that's why uh, in No More Perfect Kids, we also give parents the antidotes to the perfection infection. And those antidotes, uh, spell out the acronym C L A P so that we can celebrate our kids we can clap for our kids and C is compassion to see the world through their eyes to build a bridge into their reality to have a sense of compassion and empathy for
2: them. And this isn't about a popularity contest. I mean, some parents would say, now, wait a minute, Craig, how dare you suggest, you know, my job is not to be a friend to my child. I am there to be their parent. I have to be able to be the one that will give them guidance and correction, draw the line in the sand when need be, provide discipline when necessary. I am not so concerned about whether or not my kids like me or I like my kids. It's important that they know I love them. But I, at the end of the day, have to be the parent and while all that is well good and very accurate there is this little subtle thing going on where the child can walk away as you're as you're pushing this sense of of your perfection on them and trying to create a child that lives up perfectly to your standards that a child can walk away readily and really really have a big challenge here emotionally thinking i know mom and dad love me, but, you know, I, I didn't turn out to be the lawyer that they wanted to be, but I'm a really good artist, so I guess maybe they love me, they just don't like me. Wow, what a, what a burden that is to carry as a child.
3: It
4: really is. It really is. And, you know, I, I mean, I am a firm believer parents are not designed to be their children's friends. I mean, all the things that you just said, I would absolutely agree with. Uh, before I got serious about ridding myself of perfection infection parenting, I was a buck up mom. Buck up. Move on. Life, sometimes life's hard. I was just a buck up mom. I didn't have a lot of compassion. I didn't have, now I, I gave my kids direction. I gave them, uh, certainly a structure in their lives, but I didn't really know them. And that's where, that's what we're talking about in No More Perfect Kids is a balance between that, uh, certainly being the disciplinarian, being the leader of our children, but balancing that out with truly knowing our children. Well,
2: and, you know, that leads also to an important question that we can elaborate upon when we come back after a brief timeout, and that is, parent, ask yourself this question. Is the, the time in your relationship with your child when you give them the most attention just the times when they're in trouble? Ponder that as we'll take a time out and come back to more of our conversation. Jill Savage, the co author of No More Perfect Kids. Love your kids for who they are. We'll take a brief time out, then back with more as Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Back to our conversation. Okay, here's the big question for you, parents. And that is simply this. Do your kids tend to get the most attention when they're in trouble? And what are you doing the rest of the time? Addressing that question. The book, No More Perfect Kids. Love your kids for who they are. Co-author Jill Savage is with us. And and Jill, what about that? I mean, I know that we live very busy lifestyles and oftentimes both parents are working and we're running to and fro. We've got jobs to maintain, we have houses to, to take care of, grocery shopping to do, gotta get the kids to uh, everything from band practice to soccer practice and everything in between. And then we, we think we're giving our kids a lot of attention, but then the the real one-on-one attention seems in some cases to only really excel when they're in trouble.
4: Uh, It's true, and I think it's an easy way, an easy place for us as parents to to fall into. Uh, You know, the book is built around questions that each of our kids are asking deep inside their hearts. They're questions that we asked when we were kids. Uh, Those questions are uh, simple questions like... um, do you like me? You know, that was one that that you mentioned a little bit earlier. But another question is, am I important to you? And uh, in today's uh, fast-paced life, oftentimes our kids are only getting our attention when they do something negative, when we're correcting them, and that doesn't tell them that they're important. And so I think we really have to... Um, we have to, and, and also if our goal is to get to know our child, to study our child, uh, only, you know, interacting and knowing them when, when their behavior is negative is not going to help us explore. Uh, so we really need to spend time with our kids. We need to, to dig into to life with them. And, um, you know, we have a, a son that, are, the one that wasn't musical that I was sharing earlier, he loves to run. And when he was in junior high, uh, we encouraged him to do cross-country. And he actually, when he was in seventh grade, he won the the state cross-country meet. And so here he was, seventh grade. He was winning state. And in our minds, we're thinking, by the time he gets to high school, he is going to be one of the top runners and possibly have scholarship opportunities. So, of course, we encouraged him to keep going and keep going and keep running. And he hated it. He hated cross country. And we thought, why? Why? He loved to run, but why? Well, we spent some time digging into that. And, and instead of just correcting him and pushing him, uh, we, you know, just tried to have some very intentional conversations and really come to understand him. And it took us a while to dig it out of him and figure out what was at the heart of it. But here's the deal. He loved to run. He hated competition. Mm. This is where knowing our child and knowing their heart and and having compassion and love and acceptance and perception. those are the uh, four antidotes to the perfection infection, so perception is that we're really perceiving or trying to perceive or paying attention to what's going on on the inside of our child's heart.
2: How do we know, though, when to push and what not to push? Because there's another example out of the book that you share with uh, one of the four musical children whom you encouraged to take a semester of choir. And I understand that he went into that thing kicking and screaming all the way. And uh, a couple of days into it said, forget about it, I'm not going to do it, and all these fights. And you insisted he had to complete at least one semester. And slowly, all of a sudden, he's coming home and talking about new friends that he met in choir practice, and they're going to be traveling here to do this. And before you know it, uh, this became, as you suggested inside the book, one of the highlights of his scholastic career. So how do you know that delicate balance of, of when to push and when not to push?
4: that is a great question. And it comes down to knowing your child. You, it comes down to paying attention to the little things. That same child, I also share a story in the book that that same child wanted to play football when he was in sixth grade. And the only place you could do that was on a community team. And so we made arrangements for him to, and we couldn't imagine, he didn't seem like the football type, but he wanted to play football. And so we uh, allowed him to do that. And he came home the first day uh, from practice, hated it uh, in tears. I don't want to go back. And we said, Oh my gosh, of course you're going back. You've wanted this, you know, for years and uh, you're not, we're not raising a quitter. And so we sent him back the second time. He came back again in tears. I hate it. I don't want to do this anymore. Third day, same thing by the fourth day. I noticed that he had actually bit his nails down to the quick. He, his nails were bleeding. This child was so emotionally uh overwhelmed and distraught with the possibility of going to that football practice that I remember the day that my husband and I said, Oh, my gosh, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. It's, it is stressing him out in a way that is unhealthy and we actually allowed him to quit. So then several years later, of course, when we required him to take the music class that he didn't want to take, uh, we didn't see that same kind of stress. We saw his will and he was not happy that we were requiring him to take choir, um, but you know what, he eventually uh, grew to love it and we thought that that would be the situation. So I think it comes down to paying attention to your child really knowing them and we could have just kept pushing him to do that football and who knows where we would have been with him emotionally uh, because it was obviously stressing him out and to a, to a place that was actually unhealthy but I think it comes down to really paying attention to the little things to what's going on on the inside uh, to having those conversations you know our kids tend to like to talk at bedtime and for parents most of us are like I want to just Tell you good night, kiss you good night, and go to bed because I'm done.
0: You know? yeah. yeah, we're just done
4: at that moment in time, and that's a lot of times when we get to hear our kids' heart, or they'll share something, and so we have to we have to make ourselves available for those conversations, and know our child, and pay attention to those little things that often give us a clue what's going on with
2: them and it comes back to such an important point of balance as we've discussed i think throughout our visit today and you mentioned this in the book parents we have to be mindful that our kids are created first and foremost they may like they may look like us in the mirror but at the end of the day They're created in God's image, not our own. And we know that God has no stepchildren and that he has a unique individual plan and calling on each and every one of our lives. And what you want for your child, as wonderful and altruistic as it may be, May not necessarily be what God wants for your child. And so, um, learning to know what the purpose and calling those of their, is on their life, allowing them to experience failure, correcting them without criticizing them, getting to know your kids, uh, particularly as, as you point out, Jill, the difference that it makes when we know as a parent when we should push and when not to push can make all the difference between, um, not creating maybe or or raising perfect kids, but certainly happy and successful children. And that, I think, at the end of the day, is the most important thing.
4: It is. It really is. And I think the more uh, we get to know our children and then as they get older, it's also important for them to get to know us and uh, for them to know that our failures, our struggles, and because at at some point they need to know we're not perfect either. Life is hard. We all have struggles. We all have things that we have to work through. Uh, failure is a normal part of this living experience. And so the more we help our kids know that those are normal things in their life because they're normal things in our life, that also gives them permission to not try to be perfect, but to embrace the, what I call the perfecting process that God has all of us in because we mature best through our failures, through our struggles, through coming to know ourselves. And And that's the perfecting
2: process. Indeed so. And, And of course, that perfecting process is one that God largely works out. And so at the end of the day, parents, you can have a deep sigh of relief here. No more perfect kids. Just loving our kids for who they are. The new book, by the way, you'll find it uh bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Amazon.com has it as well. It's published by Newt- Moody and uh, our guest today, the co-author Jill Savage. Information, too, on Jill's website at jillsavage.org. That's Jill, J-I-L-L, jillsavage.org. And our thanks to author Jill Savage for being with us tonight on this edition of Lifeline.